Hey everyone, my name is Dr. Dolores Tarver. I am a licensed psychologist here in Georgia and it is time for the TT Time with Dr. Tarver is a wellness-based podcast. It is not intended to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health provider. Here we are in April as we are discussing finding your fit. We've had some exciting guests on the show and tonight is no exception. We are going to be talking about from mommy dearest to mommy did this. So make sure you go ahead and share the Tea Time with Dr. Tarver live stream on your Facebook page so you can invite other people to come. And you can also be a part of this conversation by dropping your questions and comments in the chat and we can attend to them in real time. So without further ado, it is my sincere pleasure to introduce Michelle Jones, LPC. Ms. Jones completed her bachelor's degree in psychology at Webster University in St. Louis, Missouri, her and her master's degree in counseling psychology at Cambridge College in Boston, Massachusetts. She has been in the counseling field for 25 years, working as a psychotherapist in a group practice for seven years and in outpatient and community-based mental health settings for 15 years. She is adept at working with teens, adults, and couples. Her areas of specialization are trauma, mood disorders, anxiety, life management, and LGBT-related issues. She is an enthusiastic international traveler who enjoys traveling with her partner, shopping, hiking, meditation, delectable meals, and her grandchildren. So welcome, 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 Miss Michelle Jones to Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. Thank you so much, Dr. Tarver. It is such an honor to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited and I've been waiting. I've been waiting to join you with your tea time. Yes, we have been. Uh, this has been in the works for weeks, and so we have been very excited about this. So we are not going to keep people waiting. Let's go ahead and get into it. So we're talking about mother-daughter relationships today. What are some of the lessons that you learned from your mother that influenced who you were as a mother? Um, my mother was really adamant about education. I think from maybe three, I was told, you're going to college. And I probably didn't even know what a college was, wasn't thinking about it, but she really stressed the value and the importance of education for success. Um, she really made being self-reliant and self-respectful, I mean, respect for self-important as well. Um, she also encouraged me to be financially independent as I kind of progressed into my teen years so that I didn't have to depend on anyone. And she, she stressed, of course, the old adage, choose your friends wisely for obvious reasons. They will get you into some stuff that your mom and your daddy and all the money in the world cannot get you out of. Um, I think I was also really pushed about creating and maintaining an acceptable social image and the value of having one and where your respectful social image could take you as well as a work ethic. So it was, you know, show up, have a good, you know, have a good work ethic, have a good attitude about your job. And, you know, back then it was get a job, stay at it for 100 years and retire versus, you know, find a job, navigate what's working, what's not, leave it, no job loyalty, do what's best for you, which is, you know, where we are now. But it was, you know, a lot of good, solid advice and a good, a lot of good, solid information, I think, that helped me be the best person, the best part of the person that I am. 
sounds like you were in everybody's household uh, because these are some very similar things that I was taught as well, that stressing the education piece, um, choosing your social support network wisely. I don't know how many times I heard, uh, if you're out with somebody and they get caught doing some things, you're going to go to jail if they're going just because you're with them. And, I, and you're like, wait, what? How do we get there? What are we talking about? Like what? <laughs> um, but, but that stressing that it's important how you show up and with whom you show up. And so that education piece, the how you dress, how you appear, your work ethic, uh, you mentioned this loyalty, because I do think, uh, our parents grew up in generations where there was loyalty. There was loyalty to church. There was loyalty to work. That's why people retired in careers 35, 40 years that they stayed in the same place and, and went to the same church throughout our lifetime. Whereas for us, we're like, no, nah, they changed pastors. I don't like that church. They're not giving me what I need. Uh, I, I don't like that new supervisor at that job. I don't think I want to stay there. I'm not growing. I'm not. <laughs> so we have a whole different perspective, I think, on some things now. As you think about that and how you raised your own daughter and now grandchildren, um, what do you think are some of the things that maybe you've kept and some of the things that you're doing differently? I, I think, and I have one. I only have one, have grand, one grandchild. Yeah, okay. Just one Mimi called. One person called me Mimi. Thank you. Okay. But um, I, I, Mimi, that's it, the Mimi. Uh, with my daughter, uh, she's 37, and I kept all of those same kinds of life lessons, expectations, and direction. But I think the way that I delivered them with with um, I delivered the message with a lot less concrete drive. It was, here's a suggestion. Here's some good information. Here's some things you need to consider versus this is what you better do. This is what you better not do. This is who you can be friends with. This is who you cannot be friends with. These are the schools you can go to. These are schools I'm not going to allow you to go to. So I gave her more flexibility in her decision making. I encouraged her to develop more of a comfortable sense of autonomy and self-acceptance. And I wanted her to have more of a voice. You know, in a black home, you, my age, I'm 55, you don't have a voice. And I wanted her to have a voice because I felt like I would have done better with the voice. And given her the parameters of, yes, you will have a voice. It may not change my opinion. It may not change the traje trajectory of what we're doing. It may have no impact. But I want you to get comfortable speaking up for yourself and knowing that it's okay, but you have to choose your words for the audience. And you know that classic, check who you're talking to and check your tone. But I'm here to listen for whatever it is you need to share with me. I, I didn't feel like I could tell my mother all the things that I wanted to talk about. And I wanted my daughter to feel comfortable doing that. Absolutely. Can we just pause for a second and talk about how 50s are looking like 40s over here? Come on, yeah. uh, beautiful skincare routine. Um, but, you're, but you're absolutely right. I think there, there was that not having that sense of being able to have that voice, um, being seen and, and, and not heard, um, recognizing that you were talking to adults and authority figures and govern yourself as such. Um, you know, I grew up in a little town in Mississippi and we were yes ma'am and no ma'am and yes sir and no sir. And that's how I grew up. When you talk to adults, you put a title on their names. There was a handle, uh, as we used to say. And so you didn't address people by first names. You, you, you recognized your, your place as a child. And even though there were moments, I think that we were encouraged to be able to speak up in some areas 
there were definitely things that you knew you were not able to speak up about. So it sounds like for you, when it came to raising your daughter, you said, hey, I want you to still have these same values because these values, they have been good anchors. At the same time, I want to add this piece of you being able to express how you may feel about some things. And I appreciate this part, even though it may not change my mind, I still want to hear you and for you to recognize this is a safe space for you to be able to, to share. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's really powerful in terms of, of that um, model. Now, a lot of people would say that because we have done that uh, with our children, then, okay, now they become all mouthy and now they uh, have gone to the other end of the spectrum and uh, now they don't have regard for staying in jobs and staying at churches and um, they're dressing different and they have uh, this mentality of where they don't have to listen to people and they don't have to pay their dues. Do you feel like there were any negative side effects of you having that approach or do you feel like that addition of you adding that piece was actually something very helpful to your daughter as a tool and a resource? I think areas of maintaining it um, the way that my mother did were helpful. And I think there were areas of definitely me changing my approach were helpful. But I also recognized there were areas in which I overdid it. I overindulged. And so my daughter became very spoiled and entitled and didn't feel like, I mean, never disrespectful. Now, we never crossed that line. She understood, I'm your mother. I'm not playing. We can have a fun time together. I'm not your friend. Let's never confuse that. And so that's what I was told. I'm not your friend. I'm your mother. So I made that clear, but I wanted her to be in a space of we can have enjoyable times together and I made that almost too comfortable for her in some ways that I had to when she was in her 30s dial it all the way back down and again never disrespect but just mom will handle it mom got me mom's good I'm good you know if I'm if mom's got it I've got it and it was that was never the case my mother's perspective was you see this enjoyable life you're living you need to get to get an education because this is our money, not your money. So you're going to still make your own. And my daughter felt like, well, your money is my money and it's just our money and I don't need to contribute and we're good. And I really rolled along with that and, and let it go for different reasons. One of them, she was a single, I was a single mother and I almost felt obligated to ensure that she had everything that her friends had that had two family homes. And that goes back to that appearances and that appearances can sometimes be really toxic on your mental health and how you're showing up for yourself and your relationship because you're trying to keep up this facade and it's a, there's a cost for keeping up with the Joneses. Can we talk about the transparency of that statement? <laughs> how many of us have sacrificed our own health, our mental health, our physical health, our financial health, uh, trying to make things happen for our children because we did feel some sense of obligation because I brought you here. <laughs> um, so it's not your responsibility that I may not be partnered. It may not, it's not your responsibility that I may be partnered and uh, we may be struggling even in partnership. Uh, so we often do feel like we want, we don't want our kids to be teased. We don't want our kids um, to, to not have opportunities. And so in making sure that they do, we sometimes can get lost in, like you said, these comparison behaviors and trying to keep up with things that are really, I always say, fighting outside my white my weight class. Um, so it sounds like you had a moment where you recognized, like, because of that, I made it seem like it was a little too easy. 
And so you didn't recognize and understand the struggle and you didn't recognize and understand that you have to show up too. It's not just about me being this support and this foundation um, and this safety net for you, but I gave you skills so that you would be able to be independent and take care of yourself. Not that I would be responsible for taking care of you for the rest of your life. Indeed. Well summed up. I needed that on a recording about two years ago to play every day ad nauseum for my daughter. <laughs> well, you are not by yourself because I'm seeing everybody's thumbs up all over this um, <laughs> Facebook page because I think a lot of us um, are recognizing that as we went to this other side of the spectrum of adding this open communication and being able to give our, our children more opportunities, that they have gotten a little ungrateful and they get a little overprivileged. Um, and, and they start to, to have expectations that are outside of their weight class. Because like you said, you are operating as if you, you and I have the same budget and we don't. <laughs> no. I love that. We don't have yeah. the same budget. We don't have the same budget. Yeah, if we're going to rein you back in, and I appreciate you being able to do that in her 30s, being able to say, hey, right, so let me go back, because I think it's important for us as parents, particularly as mothers, to be able to, one, acknowledge our mistakes. Like, hey, I may have sent you um, some inaccurate information. And so I always can go back and make sure that you have more accurate information upon which to act. And so that accuracy is about who you are versus who I am. Um, and yes, sharing this loving moment, I'm supportive, I'm going to be here for you, does not translate over into I'm going to take care of everything for you. You have to make good, wise decisions. And that goes back to what your mom taught you about being uh, making uh, being good fiscal management, um, um, having that academic resource, right? Because if I put myself in situations to be able to earn the income that will allow me to have the lifestyle I want, then I don't have to depend on mom or dad to be able to make that happen for me. I'll be able to make it happen myself. But I got to pay my dues. Like I can't just jump right out of school and think that I'm going to be able to have that kind of lifestyle either. Yes. And I think young people miss that part. Absolutely. They really miss that part. They don't feel like I do need to pay the dues. It's, okay, this is how much my mom makes. Okay, I'm going to get an education. And when I come out of college, I'm going to make the same amount. And you're like, no, 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 no. We're talking years in the making for where I am. You've got to start at the bottom. You've got to start at the bottom. And even so much so that young people are willing, unwilling to take jobs because it's not enough. But you're like, you don't have anything to bring to the job. What are you bringing to the job? We're just glad you showed up. That's all you can bring to the job is your presence. You don't even have a skill and you want more money. So, your youthful exuberance. That's all you got. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, but you know, you're absolutely right about this piece. Of, and that's that privilege piece because we've celebrated our young people for breathing so long that they feel like they show up and they ought to get a check. Um, yes. Like you're going to get a check, but that check is going to be minimum wage or that check is going to be whatever stipend it is for this assistantship or, or a program that you're doing over the summer. It is not going to translate over into mommy's salary right now. So um, which is yes. you're absolutely right about some why some young people have such high turnover in jobs. Like pumpkin, you can't have 10 jobs every year. Yeah. Yeah, so there's no, there's no, I don't like you. You were being to me. You said this. You didn't give me my day off. I'm quitting. You're like, well, okay, then you're going to be broke then. And I think that's what we have to allow that, you know, and then it's another thing my mother 
did teach me there are consequences to your actions. And I think we sometimes as parents, especially as, as mothers for our daughters, we block the consequences. And so the learning doesn't happen. And then we're sitting back in awe of why is this not taking hold for you? And we just kept blocking the consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you kept not being able to afford your rent and I kept paying it. So why did you have to make any adjustments? You did it. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Yes. <laughs> you know that it, it don't hit you like it hits you in your pocket. <laughs> In your pocketbook. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When other people count your coins for you. Um, So let's switch gears. Uh, Mm -hmm. Often in black families, we've talked about some good examples of some, you know, some some uh, mother moments, uh, motherhood moments where we're learning lessons and we're trying to impart this wisdom and knowledge onto our kids in healthy ways. But I also recognize that there's the other side of the spectrum. Uh, where sometimes in our Black families, mothers are revered, even if they are a source of our trauma. And we feel like we are obligated to have the kind of relationships our mothers want with us. Because as we used to say, you brought me in this world, you can take me out. And so I feel like I have to accommodate you no matter how you treat me. Um, Can you talk about some of the dynamics that can put a strain on these mother-daughter dynamics? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think one of the big ones is exactly that, that entitlement. I am your mother, therefore you will. You will do what I said. You will do what I said at your peril, at your detriment. You will do what I said do. And I'm not concerned about the emotional cost for you. I might not even be concerned about the financial cost for you. I'm your mother. I deserve it. All the things I've done for you, I deserve it. You owe me. Um, I think there's that guilt dynamic that some people experience, and it's centered around, I'm ill. What 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 if something happens to me and you're going to move away? You're going to go away to college and leave me? And, you know, I'm getting old. Who's going to take care of me? Or, you know, I've been ill and, and you're going to leave. And how do I know that you're going to be able to get back in time if something really, and you're like, you know, I'm not God. Like, I don't have a time date stamp for you. And if something bad's going to happen, I'm not orchestrating that, which means I'm probably not going to be able to stop it. So that that guilting piece that makes a person, a young woman feel like I can't pursue the dreams for my life because that means me leaving this particular location and mom is not going to be okay. And and then you're into it. You buy into it. Well, if my mom gets sick, I want to be available. You're like, you do know there's probably nothing you can do. And uh, the hospital is probably going to be able to do more than you are. So that guilt is huge. Um, A big one that I I just despise is the transactional relationship and that oh yes that one I it I just that one just roots for me and it's that that obligation to do what I want you to do because you need me and I've created this need and if you don't I will withhold affection. I will withhold access to resources that I've promised you. I will withhold support that I've offered or promised you. I will just withhold everything. I won't keep your kids and you know you got to go to work and I'm mad at you today. And so now you don't have a babysitter. You know, things like that. That transactional is, that that one is, I think, really, really hard for me. because it just bothers me so much to feel like someone is always having the if-then 
the if then. And I just, I can't even, I just couldn't do the if then. I think there is the, you gain the privileges by doing the right things and meeting the expectations. But when my relationship with you, the health of my relationship, the health of myself in relationship with you is contingent on the if then, I that one just bothers me to no end. That one bothers me to no end. I felt that all in my whole spirit. Um, <laughs> And because what you're talking about is conditional relationships. Mm -hmm. So my love comes with a price. My support comes with a price. My being mm -hmm. present for you to show up for you, it comes with a price. And, and so what ends up happening is uh, fear, obligation, guilt, this fog that our mothers can have us in. Uh, what ends up happening is now I can't function in my life in healthy, independent ways because I become anchored and tethered to you. Absolutely. Because you have, and, and you mentioned it, this is out of fear. Uh, and sometimes what ends up happening with our mother's ears, they're so fearful because so many people have left them. They're fearful that their children will leave them. And you are the last person, right? You're the last person in my life that I feel like I can have a hold on. So when all of these other things are outside of my control, then what I do is I try to tighten this hold on you and start guilting you about my health and guilting you about, well, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. You need this support. You don't need to go that far away. Do you really want to take that job over? You don't even know anybody there. This is where your family is. You don't want to go. So what if something happens to you and we can't get right in? And really, it's not about our daughters. It's about us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And our inadequacies and insecurities and worth issues, but we're projecting them onto our daughters and making them, like you said, feel responsible for taking care of us. Even our, you know, our parents' life situations, mm -hmm. it's you get reeled into feeling an obligation to shore them up when they are not what they need to be. You know, it could be, well, you know, my spouse died. Now you're my expected entertainment or my expected counterpart. You know, leave what you're doing and, and you know, you're supposed to be that replacement for me. And it's, you know, I, as a child, I shouldn't have that, that obligation. I'm out trying to build the life that you are now saying you enjoyed with someone and you all had your time. And now I can't have my time because now I'm supposed to come back and, make space for myself in that that role and i don't want to do that so if i don't want to do that then i'm not grateful i'm not appreciative i'm not supportive you don't recognize all i've done for you and I, and I laughingly you know with the um the entitlement one of my clients i hear this coming up a lot in therapy and it's actually coming up a lot younger for young ladies maybe middle school where that was unheard of 10 years ago for someone in middle school to feel like this or even express it but uh, one of my young ladies said with the entitlement we were laughing I was like so what's a what's a really good response to that and it the response that we crafted was if i owe you please send me a bill and i'll make payment arrangements <laughs> i love it i love it uh, I, you all probably grew up seeing um that commercial for the song, nine months I carried you, hold you inside me, no charge. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I feel like I, I instantly thought of that when you said that. Like, you know, I, I don't have anything that I owe you because it was your choice to bring me here. Absolutely. And so when we are talking about loving relationships, they're not based on condition. They're not based on obligation. 
they are based on us showing up for each other to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. So as my mother who chose to bring me here, you decided to take on that responsibility. And as a product of that, then I am going to take your, your lessons that you give me and I'm going to continue on that legacy and I'm going to show up and be the best human being that I can be. But other than that, there is not any obligation there. Uh, and you said something very striking to me, which is, you know, kind of filling these voids that our mothers have. And then where does that leave me? So then now, because you're dependent on me, I become dependent on you. And then what happens when you leave? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't take that job and I didn't get into that relationship and I didn't walk in my purpose because it was, it was going to be something that was hurtful to you in some way because it was going to take me away from you. So now I'm stuck. I've known, you talked about this with your clients. I've known so many women come to therapy after their mothers have transitioned from their yeah. earthly home. Um, now my mother is dead and I got all this complicated grief because I literally didn't do any of the things that I wanted to do. I missed out on all of these opportunities to make sure that you were taken care of. And now I am out here lost. And resentful. And re come on, resentments. And resentful. And resentful. Um, you know, trying to navigate all of these places that I could have gone and things I could have done and even the person that I could have become. And now, like, my good years are gone. And, you know, I've had a client that said, I'm past the point of being able to have a child. And I was always made to feel that I was unworthy and unfit for a relationship. And I only needed to be focused on this. And now that I've gotten, this is a woman who is a Harvard graduate PhD and is really lamenting the fact that the great years of my life to be a mother and be a wife, I feel like I was denied because I never felt worthy because of the things that I was hearing from my mother about you're too fat, you're too this, you're too that. You need to focus on being smart. And so smart was where the energy went, but there wasn't any defining of those other areas of herself that I do want to be a partner. I do want to be in a relationship with someone. So those areas never got cultivated. And then it's now you're older and it's kind of, you know, the, the slim pickings are out there. I mean, they're there, but you don't want to navigate too much of what's out there right now, especially after you've done so much work in one area of building your success. It's going to be hard to find someone who is, is you know, is invested as much in their success that wants you at this age and wants to be with someone who doesn't have any children and doesn't have really good self-esteem. Like all these things, they matter. Absolutely. And then the fear. Because what yeah. I'm hearing you say is like this, this has left daughters fearful, fearful of, of, of walking out and doing different things because of how it affect their mother. And now I don't know how to be in a relationship. And now I don't know how to go. You know, I've, uh, I've known of mothers to be jealous of their daughters. And so mm -hmm. because, you know, we uh, didn't get a chance to do. Uh, what we wanted to do in our lives, whatever, for whatever reason, opportunities didn't happen for us. And now that I see opportunities are having for you, I'm going to happening for you. I'm going to sabotage you. And so this is where some of these worth issues that you're talking about is coming from. So I'm going to tell you, you're not good enough. And I'm going to tell you, you're not pretty enough. And I'm going to write in all of these things because, and we don't like to use this word um, of, of trauma when it comes to these mother daughter dysfunctional relationships, but that's what it is. Because what I'm essentially doing is I'm creating an environment of control where I'm eliminating any of the things that could potentially be a threat 
to you leaving me. And so I'm keeping you powerless and I'm keeping you helpless and I'm keeping you not feeling like you're worthy and valuable and have anything to offer. And so then when I'm gone, you are literally, as you said, not only resentful and fearful, but now I got to deal with the trauma of this very unhealthy, dysfunctional relationship that was abusive. And what am I supposed to do with that? Who am I going to be fit for <laughs> in a relationship, in a job, in a, I, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out here walking wounded. Um, mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about this trauma, because I know we don't like to use that word trauma if we weren't beaten mm-hmm. or if we weren't raped or if we weren't, um, you know, people didn't burn us or we didn't have food withheld from us. We think, well, that's not trauma. That's just mama. Oh, wow. I like that. Yes. And, and that's true. I think we have been conditioned to feel that if it's not war, blood, guts, appendages missing, um, some creepy uncle, that it's not trauma. And then as you are evolving into yourself as a young woman and even as a woman older than that that's realizing what happened to me in that relationship where I felt like everything was fine. I felt like my mom was motivating and pushing me and encouraging me. I didn't realize my mother was actually limiting me and demeaning me and disrespecting me and you know, taking my sense of agency to keep me small and controllable. And that trauma then shows up You know, we see it in our offices. Women are coming in, young women are coming in, not comfortable with being able to make decisions for themselves, not feeling capable, learned helplessness. I I don't know how to do anything. It's like, no, you do. No, no, I really don't. Um, Poor self-image, poor sense of poorly developed sense of self. Nobody has allowed you to figure out what you want to be and who you want to be and what that looks like without telling you it's impossible, it's unacceptable. So you don't even know how to figure out who you are or what you want to do when you're even given the opportunity. So when you start coming in and getting help to work through the trauma, you're sitting there kind of like a deer in headlights. I don't have any idea of who I am. I don't have any idea of what I want. And so it limits you. Absolutely. And how scary is that mm-hmm. to to recognize that this person was what was driving your identity. And now without this person, I'm lost. Like I really don't. I never took root yeah. because I wasn't given enough nurturance to do so. Yes. So I've been here on this in this superficial soil, never <laughs> taking root. <laughs> um, and the wind blows and now I'm all leaned over. A uh, storm comes and I'm 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 flying all over the place. And, and I, to me, that's a very poignant statement to say, no, I really don't. Because I do think some women really don't. Like, I really don't know. Um, I recognize that there is information out there. I understand that people are able to do this. So I know that there are skills out there to do that. But when I tell you I really don't, because someone literally was pulling my strings this whole time, yes. and I didn't have the capacity to make, that is... That is so so hurtful to me, but also such a very powerful statement when someone says, I have no worth outside of this other person because they didn't allow me to. Absolutely. And then that creates, you know, the difficulties in attachment 
and being able to not only create or envision first, envision what a healthy relationship looks like, be able to actively participate in a healthy relationship because you have no frame of reference for what healthy looks like. So you start reacting, responding from that wounded trauma place. You've now got some of the same types of mental health issues that your mother may have had that were driving this cutting your legs from under you. So you walk out with these legs cut from under you. You meet someone who's trying to show you and demonstrate what love in a healthy way looks like and you question your value, you question your worth, you got insecurities and you just don't really know how to be present for something good because you you just don't feel like you've really experienced anything good when you look at it from the, well, what I got from the relationship with my mother was, again, pretty close, nice experiences, as long as they were within the box of what my mother wanted me to experience. As long as I fit the box, stayed in the mold, didn't deviate, things were fine. Move over, left or right off that path, it's a problem. And so then there's even the fear of getting in trouble. Like, I'm afraid of conflict. I'm afraid to speak up for myself because I'm going to get in trouble. And I think that's one of the other things I just cannot stand when an adult says they are afraid of getting in trouble with another adult. Like, you're, you're not getting in trouble. We're going to disagree. We'll work through it. But... I'm in trouble with my mother and I'm a grown woman paying my own bills, maintaining my own lifestyle. And I'm really afraid of what's going to happen because I didn't do what she wanted. And I'm going to be in trouble. Absolutely. And then it shows up in the work with us. You're going to be really disappointed in me. And I'm like, mm -hmm. let's talk about that statement. Why do you think I'm going to be disappointed in you? But that's all I've ever received from this very important relationship in my life. Our mothers are the first women we ever love. The first women oftentimes that ever show us any kind of love, whether it's conditional or not. Uh, mm -hmm. And so this is the model, this becomes the model for our relationships with other women. And so, yeah, it affects how we can have friendships with other mm -hmm. women. It affects even what we pass down to our children. Like you said, I can be, I can have a home with a, with a partner and children, but my mother is still running my house. Uh, oh, indeed. And, and, and what kind of problems is that going to cause for me and my partnership? What's gonna, what am I going to pass on to my children? Mm -hmm. um, and what am I going to allow them to be victimized through because of this relationship I have with my mother? Because it's hard for me to be able to set this boundary. And you mentioned this earlier, and I want to get to that place of we are so afraid that if we set a boundary with our mother, if we don't do everything that she said, the court of public opinion is going to say, we are an awful daughter. Mm. So, let's <laughs> so, so let's talk about some of those dynamics about one, what would it look like to set a healthy boundary with a mother who is engaging in those kind of toxic behaviors? And then what am I supposed to do with these feelings I have uh, of guilt and shame? Because people are going to be like, well, that's your mother. You need to honor your mother. You know how your mother is. We want to love her through that. Well, I, I think, you know, for the setting a healthy boundary, it's going to look a little different for our relationship with our um, minor daughters up to 18. And then a little different when we're dealing with an adult daughter and an adult mother-daughter relationship. So I think boundaries for the minor daughter should be centered around, I'm giving you rules. 
These are the rules of my home. Um, they are here to keep you safe. They are here to support you, nurture you, and hopefully empower you to be your best self. But these are the rules. You will need to adhere to them. If you don't, there will be consequences. Now, here's where you get to have some say-so as that minor daughter. You can give me some opinions about the rules. I said 9 o'clock. You'd like 10 o'clock. Let's talk about that. But it, again, it doesn't mean I'm going to change anything, but I want you to feel like you can have a respectful conversation with me about pretty much anything. And I, I think as a, as a mother who wants to cultivate that kind of relationship with the minor child, you have to suspend some judgment. You, it can't be, no, you didn't. You better not. Didn't I tell you not to? And then they never get to really share what it is that they want. So the boundary of we can have a conversation it's going to be around this level of regard and respect for who I am. I'm still your mother. And then, you know, being open to, okay, I hear your side. Do you hear, do you hear and understand my side? I think just offering more, I understand versus I'm going to reprimand. And then with the adult daughter, I think you summed it up beautifully. Recognizing I'm your adult mother. You're my adult daughter. You don't owe me anything except independence from me. That's what I want for you. Don't need me for your lifestyle. And as your as the daughter, the daughter said, great. And I don't owe you anything either. I'm not taking you into my home when you need to go into a nursing home. I'm not going to divorce my husband because you don't like him and come live with you. And just recognizing that this is where a good conversation can be had when two healthy people, mother and daughter, show up and say, the only thing that I really seek to gain from you is support, love, respect. And that's what I would like to offer you. And we, we negotiate what that looks like because it's gonna look different at different stages of us as adult, as adult daughters. So at 21, what respect and nurture and support looks like is different from what you need at 35 or 45 or 65 if you and your mother is still there. But you know, one really interesting thing that I, I said to my daughter um, some time ago, I want you to feel very comfortable um, putting me in my place if I become old, mean, cratchety, and disrespectful. I want you to address that. I want you to, if you need to check me, check me because I don't need to be talking. You don't deserve for me to be talking to you like that. Whatever I've got going on, you don't need to make it your issue. And I also told her, you're not responsible for where I live as, as I'm getting old and infirmed. Don't alter your life to try to be a caregiver. You have a life to live. I don't need that from you. But, you know, again, I said, years ago I set a boundary with her that was for us to have a relationship I'm going to need you not to need me for my finances my resources and my credit so if we can just not use those as bargaining chips in our relationship we're gonna have an amazing relationship I want to take you to lunch I want to say girl I found you a cute handbag I bought you one because they were on sale but I don't want to feel like your basic needs are my responsibility and I don't want her to feel like my basic needs are her responsibility so we have to be be careful not to make our children responsible for parenting us later come on beautiful boundaries and, and these are, you know, but these are some good examples of how as a mother, we help 
our, our young daughters become healthy and well-adjusted and be able to set boundaries um, and, and be able to, to have um, some good judgment and, and to be able to learn how to be independent and be responsible for themselves. Um, but then also at the same time, how to transition when our daughters become adults. Mm-hmm. And we're setting these healthy boundaries. And those go on both sides. I am not going to allow you to feel obligated <laughs> um, to be responsible for me in the same way I am not going to be obligated to be responsible for you. And there mm-hmm. was a time when we felt like when our mothers age, um, we have to be responsible for them in their dementia, in their Alzheimer's, in their um, uh, severe and chronic and persistent illnesses. And caregivers were having heart attacks and strokes trying to be responsible for taking care of their mothers because they felt like, well, that's what I should be doing. My mother took care of me. I need to take care of her and not utilizing all the support resources because they mm-hmm. were concerned about how that might look. Yep. Um, and, and these family dynamics of, no, we take care of our own. Um, but as you said, not at the cost of killing myself, there is no shame in you getting adequate resources to give your loved one the type of care they deserve. Um, and are we able to mentally, physically, and emotionally be able to take care of our mothers? There are some people that are in a position to do that, but I guarantee you that most people are not. Um, mm-hmm. But they have not felt like they could get help. Uh, I've known people that never got a break, wow. never had a day off, constantly mm-hmm. caring 24 hours for their getting up at night with them, getting up and and what do you think that does to you over time? It wears you down. Um, and then, then you wonder why you, you'd had the stroke and you're paralyzed on one side. Um, but we struggle with that because of our guilt, right? And so um, talk a little bit about why we feel so guilty when we set boundaries for our own self-care and wellness. But also when we set boundaries with our mothers, because not all mothers are going to say what you said, which is, hey, look, when I get to a point where I need nursing care, help put me in a nursing care facility. Not all mothers will say that. Some will say, you better not ever put me, I don't ever want to be. So how, one, how can we set boundaries with the mothers that aren't healthy? (laughs) Um, And two, why do we feel so guilty when we do? Well, I I think again, choosing your wellness has to be paramount. And socially, culturally, women, especially women of color, but women across the board are not encouraged to choose their wellness over everything. And I think that's where we need to be able to say, I don't have, I'm not able to do it, mom. I understand that's what you'd like. I understand that's what you want. I don't even understand maybe that's what you expected, but I don't have the ability, the wherewithal, the desire even. I mean, be really honest. I don't want to do that. You know, and I think about if you've got a, a mother who is a angry hellraiser and you're married and you have a peaceful marriage and you're older and you're settling into your retirement and you're comfortable and you're bringing the angry hellraiser into your otherwise 20, 30, 30 year peaceful marriage, you're decimating that. And so it will be you and your mom because if I was the partner, I'd be moving out. I'm like, I'm not living like this. So I think you do have to feel that it is okay to value yourself and say that, you know, mom, I'll find everything that I can to assist you, support you, get you the care that you need. And then emphasizing, get you the care that you need. I'm not able to do it. And I'm not apologizing apologizing for the fact that I'm, I don't. Like that is not my skill set. 
I'll kill you in here by accident. You'll fall out the bed and I will not pick you up. So let's make sure we don't create an unsafe environment for you while you are incapacitated and you're going to probably incapacitate me. So let's not do that. So that's that's the setting that boundary, being realistic, being honest and feeling like you are worth it to say, I can't do it. And then navigating um, the guilt, I think it's just People give you that guilt. People make you feel like you're a bad daughter. You're an unappreciative person. You know, even in the religious communi communities, you know, God not going to like that. Now you feel like, oh, God, I'm waiting for mom to punish me and God's going to get me. So there's so much that's thrown at you to make you feel like if you don't acquiesce, you are doing a disservice to your mother. You're embarrassing the family. Shame on you. Everybody's looking at you and judging you. And I think you have to also be comfortable in putting people nicely in their place. This is not your life. You go manage yours. Wait till it's you and your mother. Maybe you and your mother don't have the dynamic relationship that my mother and I have, which makes it comfortable for me to take this stance. Maybe I'm healthy and you're not. So, hey, we're not going to have these conversations. I'm I'm here for all of these that we have different experience kind of conversations, right? So I understand that may have been your experience in your family. And I understand that that you may choose to. And again, I'm not saying for those women who are able to and choose to care for their mothers at, and it's not causing them health problems, then by all means. Um, however, as you are saying is all of us are different because I may not have had a mother that was very kind. Um, and so I'm still dealing with this residual trauma uh, and now I'm expected to put that aside, cast that away, throw that in a box up on a shelf somewhere and be able to provide care for you. And like you said, I don't know how to um, lift you up without damaging my back. Um, yes. You are, because you majored in being ornery and mean, um, are doing everything you can to make this process more difficult uh, than, than it needs to be. Um, I'm giving you food, you spitting it out and throwing it, throwing it down um, and telling me I don't know how to cook and it's cold and disgusting and go make you, right? And, and, and as you said, now I got a partner in this house and kids in this house, and this is what they're hearing and experiencing every day because not only are you doing it to me, you're doing it to them. Absolutely. Um, and, and what I've cho chosen to do is to say I'm not prioritizing you over my health and wellness, but I'm also not prioritizing you over the health and wellness of my, my kids and my partner. So we're going to put you, and I like how you said it, we're going to put you somewhere where you can get the best care possible because I can't provide that for mm -hmm. you. But that does beg the question, how do I know when my mother is toxic, right? So we've been... <laughs> We've been talking about, <laughs> you know, um, that's not trauma, that's just mama. I, how do I know if my mother is toxic and that I would need to set some boundaries with her because this is all I've known and maybe this is how the women in my family act. Well, I think, again, if this is all a person is known, they are probably more comfortable normalizing it and they're going to stay in that dynamic. I think as women are seeking wellness and, you know, with the use of YouTube and TikTok and all of these places where women are learning, hey, I don't have the time or the money to go to a therapist, but I'm learning something about my self-worth and I'm learning about self-care and I'm learning about this. Um, you know, I think you get into a space of recognizing I'm getting nothing 
There's no benefit of me maintaining this relationship. There's nothing that I can say is helpful. There's nothing nurturing. There's nothing respectful. You know, when it's, you know, you show up at the door and either you or mom is going to choose violence. That's probably a very toxic relationship that you need. You know, you kind of smoke sitting there like one of us is going to have to choose violence. Um, you know, and we make that's that's funny right now because it's not happening to us right now. But there are relationships where that is a norm. That is a norm. That is a horrible norm to experience that you and your mother would be coming to blows and we're still going to meet uh, on Sunday dinner and act like nothing was happening or no problems. We're going to meet for Thanksgiving dinner. So I think recognizing when you, you leave the relationship or you leave the experience of being in a relationship or communication with that person, feeling bewildered, abused, run over, devalued, harshly critiqued, you just, you don't feel like any part of you was seen, valued, or, or re respected in it. I think you just have to take an assessment of the reality of how am I showing up for this relationship? How is this relationship leaving me after I show up for it? And is there really a necessity to continue to show up? You know, I like to use, I seek not to offend or be offended. And so if I'm doing something that requires my mother to treat me in the manner that she is, that I'm, she's perceiving me as being offensive, then we probably need to go our separate ways. And conversely, if I feel offended, and this is like the back and forth, we are probably going to do each other a lot of good by seeking our wellness. And so I don't like to use the word cut off because that does sound very brutal and you know violent. I like to use release. I'm releasing you to be the version of yourself that you like, and I'm releasing myself from the obligation to participate in something that does not serve me well. Can we talk about hashtag releasing you? <laughs> releasing me. Now that is a word right there. Um, because I do think to go back to that, why we feel guilty peace because yeah if i say i'm cutting you off i'm no longer having contact with you i'm not going to engage you um to a lot of people that does feel abrasive but if i say i'm releasing you you know i'm setting you free i'm setting me free to be able to live the healthy life you deserve to live that sounds very and, and even though people may say that's just words but i think the words make a difference because oh, it is what allows us to be able to go and heal from this fear, obligation, and guilt, because it feels like this process of actually setting, releasing, being able to move through this fog that I've been in throughout my childhood. And now I can come out on the other side of that and really work on healing that little girl in me that really just wanted my mother to love me unconditionally and be able to support me and be there for me without putting terms, contracts, on our, our interaction. So I, I so much love that term, releasing. And I do hope that people are able to recognize that's what it is. It is, is you are in bondage and your mother is in bondage. Now you may be in bondage with different issues, but you're both in bondage. And so I cannot make a decision for you. I cannot um, uh, get you to change your behavior, but I can change how I interact with you and how I see this. And so I'm going to set us both free. Absolutely. And I agree. I think the language is important because even if other people who have made a decision about what they think you did and how it's not appropriate, it's bad. I think the language that you use for yourself when you're hearing that is I'm making a decision out of love 
And I'm not making a decision out of anger. I'm making a decision out of self-preservation. I'm not making petty, harsh judgments and petty, harsh, you know, cut off and this. It's I'm making a decision to love myself back into a state of wellness that I was not able to experience with this dynamic that was going on. And I'm going to release you if you feel like what you're doing is what you want to continue to do. Please feel free to do it. I just am not able to participate any longer. I'm here for that. And that leads me to, I got 7,000 other questions, but I can only get to one. Mm -hmm. um, if I am wounded from a mother-daughter relationship, you mentioned earlier your client saying, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, I don't have any idea how to start. Can you give our viewers, our listeners, some recommendations about how to begin that healing process? Absolutely. I think the first part is to assess what is it that you need? What does a sense of wellness look like? You need to know where you're trying to get to before you make a determination of how I'm going to roadmap it there. There has to be a destination. So I think having a realistic expectation of what my wellness is and not attaching your wellness to closure. Because so often people are like, I'm going to need closure. I need her to apologize for what she's done to me. If that's what you're attaching your wellness to, you may never achieve your wellness. So having a realistic and attainable um, place of what your wellness looks like and then assessing your capacity or inability to get there on your own. If you can do the work, you can watch the videos, you can read the books, you can meet with your sister circle and you all can just kind of hash it out and work through it because a lot of women are experiencing this exact phenomenon with the mother. I think a lot of people would be so surprised how many women are really in that space. So if you find your sister circle and you all can work it out that way, do it. Seek support. But if you find that you are really stuck in that space of cognitive dissonance of, I know this is the right thing, but I feel so bad about having chosen myself over the toxicity of that relationship, or I feel so ashamed that I had to, to stop talking to my mother. What does that say about me? Then you need to seek a therapist who can help navigate you through finding yourself and finding that identity of self that is not contingent on another person's perception of your beauty, your worth, or your value. They will allow you to support yourself in figuring out what that looks like for you. Those are some excellent suggestions because I think, you know, it's so important for us to be around women who can be healthy. So we can see, like if I didn't see it growing up, if I'm not around women who are healthy, then that becomes my norm, as you said. So mm -hmm. it's important for me to be able to create a space where I see healthy women. Um, and we talk about addictions and we say, uh, hey, if you're trying to work through an addiction, the first thing you need to do is you need to change the circle that you're in because the circle is often what's feeding your addiction. We don't think about that when we talk about some of these very toxic mother-daughter relationships, like your circle is actually feeding this toxicity because it normalizes for me these behaviors. And it also makes me feel very powerless in them because it is encouraged for me to continue this. So yes, getting around other, I love a, a sister circle. <laughs> a good sister circle can make all the difference, whether that's in your church or your community organizations uh, or, or other mothers or other women in your field where you can create these safe spaces and, you know, the first time that we realize something isn't healthy is when we hear other people talking about healthy stuff and we're like, wait, your mama don't do that? <laughs> yes. And then that's when the shame begins. Mm -hmm. That's when you start being embarrassed to seek out 
those supportive normal experiences because you don't want to be the one man out, odd out that says, well, no, my mom talks to me that way. And someone's saying, no, that's, no, that's why. Or I think with younger women now, even young teenagers, they are really on it. So you're a young woman saying, you know, my mother does this. She shames me. She makes me feel this. And I mean, another 12 year old will walk up and say, oh my God, your mother's traumatizing you. (laughs) Yes, we have given these babies some words. They are recognizing. And this is the power of of podcasts. This is the power of mental health being out more and us destigmatizing. Like there are so many young people Mm -hmm. who are on social media who are saying, hey, just in case you didn't know, like this is unhealthy. And so our young people do have a different reference point. So gone are the days where your mother could threaten you and say, go ahead and call Child Protective Services because when they come, I'm going to give them some too, right? So those days are no longer here where you're now in a position where a kid can be able to say like, hey, that's not healthy. That was hurtful to me. Um, And we want to empower our kids to be able to say to us as well as other kids, like, yeah, that, that, that doesn't make me feel very safe. That doesn't make me feel very loved. Right. So we need that accountability and, and challenge. Um, Do you have any books that you would recommend for people who are wanting to start this journey or websites or anything? Um, You mentioned counseling as an option and I definitely am pro counseling all day. Um, But are there, I don't have any books I don't have any. I think it's just I'm I'm being kind of inundated right now with so many women and young women and young girls that I, I may need to write a book. Maybe you and I need to write a book. Somebody needs to write a book. Come but I think, claim it. I think it's just been something that's not been addressed for so long. And it was under, you know, it was kept under the rug and, you know, the, the fear, the shame, the embarrassment. I think it's just maybe not a lot that I'm familiar with as it relates to books, but I'm going to start looking because that has really shown up a lot with the ladies that are seeking support with me. Absolutely. Um, So I have a few recommendations. Surviving Mama um, (laughs) is actually uh, written by a psychologist out of Atlanta, Black woman. Um, I am very much a fan of Therapy for Black Girls podcast, which addresses a lot of these kind of topics. And I think it's good. There's a sister circle space that women can get a part of, be a part of as you talk about creating those healthy support networks. Toxic Parents is a book I really like. Um, because it does address some of these behaviors uh, that we're talking about, mothers who don't know how to love. Um, Yeah, there's some good books out there, though I am claiming us writing one as well, because I'm here for, uh, there's never going to be too much information out there um, as people are trying to heal in their journeys. And so we want to provide as many resources for people as we possibly can. So we're going to go ahead and uh, you heard it here first on Tea Time with Dr. Tarver that uh, we will be out here writing books in these healing uh, streets so we can make sure (laughs) that people are continuing to grow in their awareness of that healthy relationships with your mothers are possible, even if these are not always biological mothers, sometimes they'll be mothers by choice um, and not by birth, but that you can have healthy mother-daughter 
relationships. And you can also improve if you've got great relationships with your mothers. You can improve on those relationships. You can improve on those relationships with your daughters. Um, and it's not too late is what I'm hearing. It's not too late to be able to address some of these dynamics and ensure that we're raising young women to be empowered, have a voice, um, make good choices and recognize their consequences to their decisions, um, and also to show up and be the best versions of themselves. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, I want to thank you, Miss Michelle Jones, for coming on to Tea Time with Dr. Tarver to address one of my favorite topics, which is mother-daughter relationships from mommy dearest to mommy did this. Uh, so you will not see the last of Michelle Jones today. She is going to be coming back. She may not know it, but she's going to be coming back. <laughs> Thank to, you. Uh, as we're going into getting ready for our May series, we're going to be addressing children and mental health. We're going to be addressing uh, LGBT and our youth. We're going to be addressing suicide. Um, we're going to be addressing uh, faith and mental health. And so look forward to the upcoming series in May. And it's a pleasure always to be with you all on Tea Time with Dr. Tarver. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, and your favorite listening platforms. And as always, be well. Good night, everyone.